we get so fearful that like, again, in matching and selection, like, you know, you said New York state, you know, came and said, oh, you can't use AI in selection. That's to me, that's the exact wrong thing to do. AI is less bias. Anytime you add AI or technology into a process, you actually reduce bias. Anytime you add humans into a process, you increase bias. And, but, but people, especially in HR, think the opposite. They think, oh no, if you add technology, potentially you have this risk of, of increasing bias. And I'm like, that's actually false. That's a false statement that I think we've let go for too long. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. ChatGPT risks becoming the Bitcoin of 2023. It is everywhere in the news. And like Bitcoin, while ChatGPT is having its moment, the underlying technology, artificial intelligence or machine learning will be significantly more impactful in the long term on society and business. AI-created content is a point of contention in the current Hollywood writers and actors strikes, and there are calls for more government regulation of AI. And New York City, being New York City, already has regulations about AI in the employee selection process. In June, I had Kate Bischoff on the podcast to discuss mitigating bias when using AI, and I'm presenting at the Austin Sherm Conference in August about the ethical issues associated with using AI in HR. Joining me today to help sort the AI wheat from the AI shaft is Tim Sackett. Tim is the CEO of HRUtech.com, a leading technical recruiting firm. He has over two decades HR and talent acquisition experience, and he's also a prolific content creator. This dude is everywhere. He's the author of the best-selling book, The Talent Fix, A Leader's Guide to Recruiting Great Talent. He blogs daily at timsackett.com and has an HR tech column on the Sherm website. And he co-hosts a weekly podcast with Jessica Lee and Chris Dunn called HR Famous. In May, I saw Tim's presentation on AI in HR at the Cayman Island Society for HR Professionals conference and immediately asked him to join me on the pod. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Tim. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. I think right now everyone's just jealous that you and I were in Cayman Islands. Yeah, I know. I just dropped that in every chance I get. (laughs) Oh, I have to go to a conference. My life is so hard. Yeah, it's in Grand Cayman. It's a one-day conference. And for some reason, I'm spending six days there. I don't know. but Yeah, yeah. We weren't in North Dakota. We were in Grand Cayman. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's a good place to have a conference. (laughs) So artificial intelligence and HR, overexposed, underexposed, overhyped, underhyped. You know, it's, it's one of those where I could answer that honestly both ways. So I could say that it's both underhyped and overhyped all at the same time. It's overhyped in the fact that it's going to have this immediate impact to HR, right? There's, it, it, but it's under, you know, kind of emphasized, I think, in that eventually um, it's, it's going to have major, major impact to how we do any function in, in corporate America, not just HR, but in finance and marketing sales. Um Little by little, right, we will start to see this um, functionality built into the enterprise systems that we use. And one day we'll wake up and won't realize, you know, um, 
you know, how much we, you know, we've come to rely on the, the AI machine learning that's out there. You know, I, it's the similar, like we talk all the time about, you know, the cell phone, you know, you and I can both remember a time when we never even had a cell phone. And, and then it was, you know, now you, we all know where our phone is every single minute. Right. <laughs> and we have this computer in our hand. AI will, will take on, you know, a similar kind of, you know, kind of, I think path, right. Where it becomes things where people it's, it's like the GPT chat GPT bard stuff now where it's like, Oh, this is so cool. Look what it can do. And you know, everyone wants to play around with it to the point where all of a sudden it's, it's built into the invisible side of software that we use. It's going to be doing things that we don't even know it's doing. That's going to make us smarter. That's going to make us more efficient, more productive, all of those things. So let's get into that. We've got artificial intelligence, big umbrella, big term, and then it kind of, and you did a really good job in the presentation of talking about how each of the subsections of AI really talk, get down to the content that we're talking about. Would you kind of get into that a little bit? Yeah. I, I mean, I think when we take a look at what I always say is like most of us have came into contact with AI to begin with in like the chatbot world, right? Where um, let's say your career site had a chatbot and you would, you know, somebody would come and, you know, the chatbot would come up and your hope is, is that we're going to lead them through a really easy apply process because the apply process tends to be just painful for most organizations. And, you know, you would say, oh, do you have a job? And it would say, yes, what's your name? And you're like, oh, no, I just want to know if it's second or shift or first shift. And be, what's your name? And it, would, and it would just keep going down that path because it had one job. And that was to gather your information and help you apply to the, and it never could understand the question you were asking. It was just once it started, it was going to continue to go, what's your name? And then, you know, we kind of um, got through this kind of machine learning 2.0 and generative has a little bit of aspect. And so when we talk about generative AI, that's when we're talking about this chat GPT. Um, the machine learning AI was basically, it would you would do things over and over. Let's say you would hire people. And I know you and Kate probably talked a little bit about this last month on the pod. And you it would it would learn what you wanted and it would give you more. And so people tend to go, oh my gosh, like AI can be biased, it can be racist, it can be sexist. I'm like, no, it can't, <laughs> but we can teach it to be. Right. <laughs> it's like a young child, <laughs> you know? And, and so if we teach it like, oh my gosh, I love hiring 34-year-old white males, guess what AI is going to do? It's going to give me more 34-year-old white males. I, I always tell people though, but be careful because if you also love to hire 27-year-old black females, guess what it's going to give you more of? 27-year-old black females. Like it, it learns what you tell it and show it to learn. Now that was, again, first generation machine learning. And then all of a sudden we realized, oh, but we can actually audit and test and, and make sure that it's doing the things that we want it to do. The next version of this generative that came around, what that really did was develop on these large language models, which in, in GPT's case and in Bard's case, it just took the internet. It took a snapshot of the internet, kind of fill all that information into one thing. And I always tell people, imagine like if you couldn't speak Spanish, not one word, but then in an instant, you could not only could speak Spanish fluently, but you were probably better than every Spanish speaker in the world, not only in reading, writing, and speaking, but also interpreting and understanding. <laughs> and you so say you go over like within like one second, you become the best Spanish speaker in the entire world. 
generative has that kind of power. It's, it's insane, you know, from like that kind of power. But then what that allowed was chat GPT or the, the chatbot 1.0, which would just asking your name and your email address to now understand the question you're asking. Oh, you just want to know if we have second shift or first shift. Oh, you just want to know how much we pay. Now, again, the difference between conversational AI like that and generative is conversational AI is still built on predetermined responses. So from an HR perspective, we understand, well, that's really kind of low risk. That's pretty safe because even though it now has more than, let's say it used to have 100 responses, now it might have 10,000 responses. All 10,000 responses that it could say, we already have approved of, we know that they're safe. The risk of generative is I could ask you a question and be like, oh, which, how much do you pay? And it could say anything. Mm -hmm. Maybe you were frustrated the chatbot. Maybe you kept asking it questions to the point where you're making it angry. And you're like, wait a minute, how does it make it angry? And it's like, it's not necessarily angry. It's Again, it's, it's determining what you're doing. And it's trying to mirror and mimic the language and the things that you're using and going back and forth. So the generative side of AI becomes a real risk for HR and HR software. Not just HR, but really any kind of response customer service type of software. So if it gets really honest, it may say, you may get a response back that says, hey, this place is shitty. I don't want, you don't want to yeah. work here, right? <laughs> what, what are we going to do? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It could be like, well, you're a woman, so you're going to pay 70%, you know, yeah. <laughs> only 70 cents on the dollar. Like you could say a lot of things, you just don't know what that could say, right? And so I think that we've seen in this initial outreach where a lot of the big enterprise HR tech companies have said, well, gosh, we don't know for sure um, how we're going to build this in. But more than likely, what it's going to be built into is you need to do a response out to a candidate, or maybe you need to craft a, um, a benefit reply um, to your to you know to a certain subset group in your organization. Maybe it's a hundred, a thousand. And it would say immediately it would come up and say, hey, here's what we believe is a great communication out to these employees. Do you approve this or not? Do you want to edit this or not? Right. So there's going to be a lot of that where the final decision maker is still on the human. But a lot of the work and content is going to be created by this AI and ultimately we'll be able to shift it, shape it. And again, you, you understand then it becomes it helps us become just that much more efficient in our job. And I think some of the the interesting things that it may eventually do is and it's, I mean, we've already seen it someplace. I mean, it's been probably five years and I, uh, since I was at a conference and uh, there was an engineer, scientist, research guy talking and he said they, uh, they were developing machine learning to read all of the emails and correspondence inside an organization and do a culture analysis and sentiment, employee sentiment analysis. And this is, you know, well before we were talking about ChatGPT or anything like that. Yeah. And they actually went and got all of Enron's emails uh, before they went tits up and ran that through the system. And it comes back and they could, uh, they could measure employee sentiment up and down with major announcements that Enron made about moves they were making in the market over several uh, the years leading to their uh, implosion. And whenever they made a certain, you know, high end, you know, big announcement, employee sentiment went down because a lot of employees knew there was something, you know, smelly yeah. in France. <laughs> There's so, no way that right, could happen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, and so, you know, I can only imagine how much smarter that's gotten. Uh, and, but on the ethical issues, and one of the things I'm going to talk about in August is, okay, so how much of that do we incorporate? How yeah. much, you know, you know, 
how comfortable are employees at having every single email? And are we going to tie that just to an organizational thing? Are we going to, how happy is this? Are we going to use this to tag employees who may be happy? You know, maybe this is a higher risk employee now because they, they seem unhappy. And and what does that mean? Do we tell a hiring manager or the, their, their current supervisor that, Hey, you've got an issue with this employee. Uh, And how do we communicate (laughs) that? So those, I think, that kind of stuff. So where do you, where do you see the the better positive uses of of AI coming in? Well, I, I, anyone listening right now, if you're using Microsoft Office product, you're already being every single one of your emails already being measured and um and and kind of drafted like this kind of example that you've given with Viva. Now, what Microsoft has said is um, they will give. Um, information to a leader on a, on a work group, it has to be more than four associates. And so they're not giving yet um, individual specific background that one might say, hey, Tim, Mike, who you, you know works for you, um, based on his email communications, based on all these other behaviors that he's having, there's a good chance he's leaving the company in the next 30 days. We might want to put a save strategy together or you might want to walk him out, right? You know, because he's downloading all kinds of information that he should be or whatever. Like, the hard part is, is I think most people don't understand. We tend to use our work communication devices as part of our, our normal everyday life. Um, and every once in a while, I'll still see people care. And in fact, I was golfing with a guy this weekend that still had two phones. He had like his personal phone and then he had like the bat phone, the work phone. And I was like, why? And then you go, well, you know what? I Because my work can measure one like kind of communication device. It can't measure the other. Um and so there's some real risk there if you're using your work communication like it's your personal communication. It's a work product. And we've always known that from the HR perspective. Our employees just tend to forget it because our lives are so intertwined right now with all our devices and all of our social accounts and all of this stuff. Um, and so it's, it's, it's fascinating, I think, that that level of detail into like – it's gonna. The AI will pick up attributes that we have no idea. As leaders, we might go, "Gosh, you know what? Mike's going through a really stressful, hard time right now. Um, you know, he lost a pet. Um, he has this project that's coming down on him. He has some other. He has a, a coworker who's just mean. You know, and like all these things are coming together. That part's maybe true. As a leader, yeah, and maybe as a leader, here's some really great things you could do to help. You know, help Mike. Right. And to keep him engaged and to, just to make his his life and his, you know, his person, I mean, everything around him just to feel a little bit lighter. And I think those things are the great side of it. Right. So I'm very hopeful on that side of what potentially could happen for the employee experience, the leader experience, the mentorship, all of those things, especially if you're a leader that has, you know, 10, 15, 20, 50, 100 direct reports coming in at you. There's no possible way you can just know all of this stuff, you know. So it's it, that to me. So that some of that's going to be amazing. And, but you're also, I think, going to see a lot of pushback. And maybe it may be the, you know, the further south you go, the more libertarian types may push back that you know I don't want my employer to be big brother. I don't want to hear from my supervisor that they're concerned about my mental health because I lost my cat or whatever. Sure. Um, although that should improve anybody's mental health if the cat goes away, but. The you know they, they, that's going to be another consideration though that employers have to deal with right because you know some organizations some people may want that warm and fuzzy organization and others may say I don't want you reading you know reading the tea leaves yeah. around my emotional health but I also think again that's the one of the things that I think that people don't really understand the power we think we because we're so used to delivering one kind of program right so we're like oh for, for an employee experience. 
Mike doesn't want the pat on the on the back and the good the attaboy. He actually is more of a you know hard pusher, and he wants you know a kick in the butt. He wants to, he wants someone to kick him in the butt and get him out of this mental state that he's in. AI would actually know the difference and actually I think be able to coach a leader on that, which is completely unique to what in terms of what that is right now. I mean, imagine you know uh, all of a sudden your leader becomes David Goggins on you, but you didn't want that, right? But, but or you did want that. Like either way, potentially it could be a negative or a positive. And I think AI will have that. I tell people the example I give is from an employee experience standpoint. Right now, you call me, I'm your HR rep, and you're like, hey, I want to know how much PTO I have, right? And I'm like, oh, Mike, you have 50 hours, you know? And, th- and like, I consider that a success. You had a question in HR, I answered it, you're happy, I'm happy, we actually got something done today. Well, now put in generative, and now generative would go, well, why is Mike asking how much PTO he has? Maybe he wants to go on vacation. I know based on the profile and all of the information that I've gathered, which is every single thing Mike's ever done in the, any system in an in email, that he has a, a, you know, two dogs at home and he's got two kids and he's got a wife. And so maybe the questions I should be asking are, oh, are you going on vacation? Can I help you? We have a Marriott you know, discount program. By the way, do you, have you found uh, a dog sitter? We have, you know, I, I can reach out to some places and try to help you set that up. All of a sudden, now your employee experience gets raised up. But also, based on all of the interactions you've had, maybe we understand that, oh gosh, Mike has a family member who's going through an illness right now and he needs to take time. How can we support him in that journey? Or maybe we also know Mike's been interviewing and having conversations exactly. and he's getting ready to leave and he just wants to know the check. Again, every single one of those is completely different now in terms of the path we would go down for the employee experience to try to help, right? From a retention, from an employee experience standpoint. Before it was, you have 50 hours. That was good. Click positive, positive. Oh my gosh, we we just solved one of the you know the the cases that we had open because Mike wanted to know how many PTO hours, and we actually thought that was a positive outcome versus potentially what it could be, is just amazing. You know, from that standpoint. And let's take a quick break. Good morning, HR is brought to you by Imperative Premium Background Checks with fast and friendly service. One of the key reasons employers run background checks on prospective or current employees is to identify risks that may lead to an unsafe working environment. And of course, if an employee will be operating a motor vehicle in the course of their job, checking the validity of their driver's license and identifying any recent driving violations seems like a no-brainer when it comes to protecting the workforce and the public. And in most states, employers now have the ability to be alerted when items of interest appear on their employees' driving records. Beyond driving a motor vehicle, checking an individual's driving history may also be useful in evaluating risk if they operate heavy equipment or dangerous machinery, like forklifts or industrial cutting machines. And running a driving history is one of the only means of verifying the name, date of birth, and address provided by the applicant against a government record. At Imperative, we help risk-averse clients make well-informed decisions about the people they involve in their business. To learn more about how we might help you, visit us at imperativeinfo.com. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for three quarters of an hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 105 and enter the keyword hallucination. That's H-A-L-L-U-C-I-N-A-T-I-O-N. 
And now back to my conversation with Tim Sackett. So where do you see, I mean, we've been talking kind of blue sky where we think it could go. Where are you seeing organizations use AI right now successfully? Most of it's going to be um, around data and it's going to be invisible, right? So it's going to be um, systems coming back to you and showing you, oh, by the way, you have, you know, this kind of chart or this kind of information coming. Um, it's a conversion rate, whatever that might be. It's collecting data behind the scenes that you don't even really realize. You never even, you might not even have asked for it, but it's delivering you stuff that it knows we could help you make you more efficient in your job or help you be better. Um, I did a Sherm webcast a couple, gosh, probably about a month ago now. And to, I mean, it was over 7,000 people who attended. I had 500 questions of people specifically asking how can I use GPT currently today in my job? And I'm like, while there are some use cases, like it can help you write a job description, it could help you write HR policy, it could do a lot of those things. And, you know, and so like if you had to rewrite every single job description in your company, you had 500 of them, that's a giant project. With GPT, you could literally rewrite those over a few days um, and, and they would be better <laughs> than you've had and they would be, you know, based on thousands, if not millions of job descriptions that are out there on the internet, right? So is it going to be the best one you've ever written or read? Probably not, but it's going to be really good. And you can actually do it by location. Maybe you have one job in California that has to be written differently than a job in Michigan. Like all of that stuff could be considered and be done very quickly. So there's little ways like that, that somebody could daily use generative AI. For the most part, the, what we're going to see and what we're starting to see in the initial like pieces of technology that are rolling out, they're baked into the tech you're already using. So you're using a Workday or using an Oracle or using an ATS, like a greenhouse, and they're going to have ATA, AI embedded into that that's doing things that you don't even know it's doing, right? It's helping your conversion rate. It's helping, you know, understand, um, you know, how to better reply or reminder or nudges and all of these things that make us better as an, as an HR pro. And, and I think that's where people are just kind of don't really understand, you know, that there's already a lot of AI they've been using. But for them, everyone thinks about AI as like a robot. Right. It's that Will Smith, iRobot, you know, making a cake with a grandmother kind of thing. That's not what it is. It's software that's just kind of like taking in a bunch of data and a bunch of information that you have. And it's giving you back something that's already predetermined. It's not making it up on its own. It's saying, hey, if we gather this information, let's say it's employee sentiment or whatever, then we're going to go back on, on a kind of continual basis and say, oh, by the way, here's what's going on in your organization. And then you make a determination on, on what you should do from there. Um, and we're going to start to see more and more of that just built in. But I think part of it is this, like this large language model piece. I think we're going to start to see private language models being built that as AI people, you know, we can really like, like giving advice, you know, to an employee on a legal matter, right? We would never just do that through chat GPT. You would have to have a language model specifically built that you felt highly confident <laughs> that you would roll that out. And again, some company will build it and it'll be out there. And all of a sudden we'll be able to offer um, expert legal advice to our employees. Where before as HR people, we would say, oh, heck no, we do right. not give legal advice. <laughs> or we just make the decision. I mean, there are a lot of times internally where somebody might Google something, but yes. they're, they're really nervous, so they're still going to send stuff to in-house counsel for, for to run them by or whatever. But the flip side is, I mean, like you said, about the job descriptions, Chat GPT or Bard can produce a really good 
something that's close to like the second or third draft of a policy or For a sure. job description. But somebody, right now at least, a human still needs to read that and make sure. Yep. Um, I was, you know, I've got the pay GPT four uh, subscription, and I'm I'm constantly peppering it with things. And uh, I asked it to create an employee handbook for an employer with uh, uh, 75 employees in in the state of Texas. And it it spit a bunch of stuff out. And it was all good, covered almost all the bases, except for one thing. It said uh, workers' compensation is required in Texas. Well, Texas is the one state that does not require workers' comp. So I fed back, are you sure about this paragraph that says this? (laughs) Oh, yes, I am. And I said, are you really sure? And it went back. Oh, I'm sorry. And it apologized, which was nice. But yeah. but you've got to have an SME reading this stuff. And so your frontline managers, and they're so lazy about job descriptions anyway, they're going to have to read whatever's generated. And, uh, yeah. and that's going to be the, the real challenge, I think. I mean, people are always the biggest problem with technology. It's like, you know, whether we, we're training it wrong or we've got bad processes that create bias. Mm-hmm. And so we're just going to implement those processes. So you're going to have bad automated processes. Yeah. I think what we're going to see in the HR space, especially, but also you're going to see this in legal, you're going to see this in accounting, there's going to be a lot of technology that's they're building their own language models specifically around. Like, and we, this is one of the issues we have with GPT and BARD is it just ingested everything, ingested fake stuff, ingested real stuff. I mean, in, you know, again, the example, you know, Mike, that I, that I had in the presentation was I asked GPT to say, what's the most controversial statement Tim Sackett's ever said, right? And it came back and said, you know, only or don't hire ugly people. It lowers the value of your organization. I was like, oh, my gosh. I don't think I ever said that. I'm like, I'm, I'm 99.9% sure I never said that. Out loud. And so I did what, yeah, <laughs> out loud. I did what you did and said, can I have the source of where this quote came from? And it gave, it basically went to a blog post I'd written, you know, long ago. And the and it actually turned the quote around, right? It took the negative side. The quote was actually only hire pretty people. They increase the value of your organization. And it was said in joke, right? So it was said in jest within the context of the blog post. Again, the AI couldn't determine that. And so it came as like this. And then also, you know, hallucinated, which is a word that people should become familiar with. It hallucinated a negative version of the quote. And what you found too is like the one thing you find with Bard and GPT and all of these language models, they come across so highly confident that you believe mm-hmm. it, like, you know, what it says. We've all and met that guy in the office too, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it goes, no, 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 that thing, that is completely made up. And then when you push back on it and you ask for data and you ask for information and all of a sudden it does. But I tell people that's just like we, we, that's just like working in an office, right? If you got delivered a work product that you went, wait a minute, this says we have zero pay equity. In fact, it says women make more than the men in our office. We would probably push back and go, I need to see some really exact data on this because this doesn't seem right. And so the hallucinations are still there. They're getting less. I mean, when I first started using like 3.5 and some of those, the hallucinations were much more. But again, that's because you have this child that's being trained, but it's being trained at speeds we can't even comprehend. And so it's learning faster than, you know, when we think. And so you're going to see much, you know, many more fewer, you know, kind of hallucinations as it goes. But like anything, you got to have the gut check and go, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. Prove, prove to me, right? Give me more data. Um, but I think to your point being, what I see is like the generalist role in HR starting to go away. 
And what we need is really, really deep subject matter experts, especially in enterprise. Now, in small companies, that's harder to do. So I do think what you'll see is this just generative AI will actually act as your generalist, right, for the most part. And then, you know, you'll figure out what, what's, what do we really need, right? Do we need someone that's great in benefits, someone that's great in hiring, someone that's great in culture, whatever that might be. And that will be your subject matter expert who relies on technology to be the generalist. And, and that, we, you know, we've worked, talked about for years on the ATS side and the HRS side about employee self-service and things like that. Yeah. And this could really make the employee self-service experience great. I mean, you know, because oh it's, it's so yeah. much better than than a, a wiki page or a blog page on the corporate uh, intranet saying, you know, here's what, uh, here's what your benefits are, sort through this. If I could yeah. ask, okay, you know, hey, you know, here's, here's explanation of benefits, cut and paste. Tell me what this means. And it gives me in natural language, something accurate that explains it. Uh, that would be gigantic because it would save it, the, the benefits folks a ton of time. Oh, yeah. And I think there's so many, like, think about when employees have experiences. And not, it's, it's not Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. Right. It's on a Saturday at 7 o'clock. My son just broke his arm playing outside. Is it better for me to go to emergency or to an urgent care or something else? And immediately getting that response where right now we just wouldn't, it wouldn't come across very well, right? It, it, you might be able to find it on a, like on an intranet site or something, but just being able to verbalize or detect something and have a really great piece of information come back in the moment, that delivers amazing experiences that we just don't have that ability to, but we will eventually, um, you know, from that standpoint. And I think there's a lot of rush to get out there and be the HR person using <laughs> this tool. And yeah. there's some downsides to that. I mean, I've, and you've probably seen it too on some of the HR blogs and discussion groups, people feeding employee, you know, either proprietary information or employee information into chat GPT. I mean, these are iterative yeah. learning. Every time you post something to GPT, they suck that information up and they're learning it. You know, they're using and it. never forgets it. And it so, learns and right. never forgets. And so you're posting <laughs> that stuff in there. Uh, and I, in fact, I was talking to a, a, uh, an attorney with a large uh, firm this weekend. And she said that they had first year associate who was putting out a ton of work and, you know, and it was all great, except they realized she was, this associate was feeding all this information, all this client information, all this yeah. confidential into chat GPT. And somebody oh, yeah. said, Oh no, 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 no. That's, we've got confidentiality issues here. And there was no clue on their part that, that it's retaining this, but it's learning. And so I think we risk, you know, you see a lot of folks, you know, how to, you know, have it write your, your uh, corrective actions for disciplinary issues or uh, your, mm -hmm. your offer letters. Uh, if, if, you know, if you're saying XYZ corporation was going to offer you the X dollars for this position title, <laughs> suddenly that's, you know, now we've got, you've just contributed knowingly or unknowingly to, uh, you know, a, a market analysis for, uh, yeah. for wages yeah. for that position. Oh, there's, I mean, there's examples I know of talent acquisition, like recruiters out there that have found full company registries of, you know, their con full contact information, social security numbers, where someone just took, a, you know, a spreadsheet, uploaded it, trying to come up with like a different format, thinking they were like, oh, I'm going to have this cool thing. And not really understanding that somebody else could prompt GPT to deliver all of that information to them in another way, right? And so, I mean, it's 
you see most organizations now going, look, you can't just do no proprietary information can be uploaded, right? And, and manipulated in GPT. Now, again, that level of technology though will be built into the systems that you use every day. So you'll still have that advantage eventually. And some you know, places are faster than others and they'll get it out there. Um, but we'll start to see that. You'll, you'll be able to just come in in the morning in your email and, and again, in a very near future, you'll be able to verbalize to your Microsoft Office inbox and say, hey, I need to respond to every, you know, email that came in in the last, you know, 24 hours that I haven't to, blah, blah, blah. And it will just go through and systematically let you read through and say, yep, send, send, send. <laughs> and you can, get, you know, knock your email out in 15 minutes. Right? And, and as soon as we can get that proprietary local air-gapped, I guess, AI that's yes. not connected to the whole world and and won't accidentally, you know, send the the missile codes to the wrong people and uh, you know start world war three then we'll be in shape to use a lot more of that stuff or you could just dummy it up i guess dummy your data up and all all, all control replace and uh you know do your you know change some names and stuff but i think that's the real risk is people putting stuff out there inadvertently or relying on stuff that comes back without checking it yeah, I think a lot of the use cases right now, if you're going to go directly to GPT or BART or someone like that, it's, it's just going to be like kind of content creation of a template type stuff. Like I need a, a, um, you know, a starting you know offer letter template that's going to involve this, 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 and this. And it would come back, give it to you. You could download it, put it into your own format, manipulate it. And you're still ahead of the game. You're not creating that from scratch. It's still pretty good. You're maybe, like you said, 90% of the way there, third draft. You know, so I still think it has a lot of use case um, out of the box. I always like look at it too and think, gosh, GPT, I, and I use GPT daily. I mean, it comes up, like you said, you have the pay version. I do as well. To me, it's a better version of Google mm-hmm. <laughs> in, yeah, in, in many faster. ways, yeah. you know. And I think we see on the horizon a lot of that where it's like, hey, what are the top five hotels in Santorini? And it comes up with them and you go, oh, the third one looks amazing. Can you please book that for me? Right. And all these companies are racing to get that technology because that's going to be the big win. So do you have a preference then, GPT versus BARD? I've tested both. What I find is BARD delivers a much cleaner product back from a just, you know, like it, it just from a formatting standpoint, GPT tends to give me more information. Mm hmm. It's just not as clean, right? So I'm getting, I'm getting, you know, I could ask, give me some great examples of, you know, some employee experience things I can do to raise the happiness level of my employees, right? And I would get five from bar that would be kind of in a paragraph bullet point, like everything looks great formatted. And GBT would give me 25 and just a list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and then they're, they're both done instantly. They're both about the same, they're, you know, from the, the, you know, that, but you might get a little bit more. Um, from each, but they're again, like the prompting piece of, we always tell people, Oh, a prompt engineer, like, what is that? And we're seeing companies paying all this money. Oh, that's ridiculous. Cause a, to me, a prompt a engineer skill. is just, yeah, it's Everybody's to me, it's, it. if you're a, like a jealous girlfriend or a jealous boyfriend, you can be an amazing prompt <laughs> engineer. Because it's really just questioning, 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 and re-questioning in a way until you get the answer that you really want. <laughs> and so it's just, it's the jealous significant other is that you oh, could be a great. great prompt engineer. You know? Well, and the other thing about BARD is it's, it seems it's a lot better at giving citations for where it got information yes. from and giving more timely stuff. I mean, it doesn't have that arbitrary date in the past that it quit collecting data. And, uh, and so you can say, you know, 
give me, you know, five news stories related to the Supreme Court decision, you know, that would, you know, in the last two years. And so, and you'll get a lot better information out of Bard there. But like you say, I think Chad GPT generally is a better writer as far as giving you an outline or uh, for your content. So how many of your blog articles at timsackett.com have been written by Chad GPT? Just one. And, it, and I interviewed it. Oh, okay. So I, I just did an interview where I just asked questions and it gave me responses. And I was like, gosh, these responses are pretty dang good, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I haven't done that. I'm sure eventually WordPress and all these will come. I mean, I already, in fact, I've already seen WordPress has a content like developer, you know, built in through generative where it's like you give it the, you know, the kind of the concepts and stuff and it will, same thing, right? It'll give you uh, probably a third draft back and then you have to kind of you know, do it from there. So that's one of the risks we have, right? When you think of SEO, when you think of, you know, companies trying to have their jobs found and stuff like that. When you have AI beginning to prompt AI to develop content, imagine all the content we have right now. I mean, the content ex- could be just explosive. And so I think that's, you know, again, we're trying to like, you know, for all the great stuff that we have out there that about AI and the help that it could be, you know, the, some of the risks are like just, you know, the amount of content that could be created is, is, it's astronomical, right? We can't even understand like the level of what could be created if we just let it go on its own. And that's, so there, you know, those safe gaps, I think that have to be built in or those bumpers, people call it to be built in to say, Hey, how do we control and stop and just don't let it do anything it wants to do, you know? So last question, what do you tell people? I've heard it from HR folks, you know, I'm not going to use any of these tools because they're going to cost me my job. Yeah. Yeah. I always, you know, the one thing I will say is I'm less afraid of AI costing me my job than I am a hiring manager that's doing something bad that I just refuse to either question or look into or do something like that. Right. Like those are a bigger risk. I can audit AI at any second of the day. And I'm hoping I actually have a great partner in my technology that is doing that on an ongoing basis for me. But at the very least, I could ask for it and it could be done. I can't audit Jim, right? Like I, and we, we get so fearful that like, again, in matching and selection, like, you know, you said New York state, you know, came and said, oh, you can't use AI in selection. That's to me, that's the exact wrong thing to do. AI is less bias. Anytime you add AI or technology into a process, you actually reduce bias. Anytime you add humans into a process, you increase bias. And, but, but people, especially in HR, think the opposite. They think, oh, no, if you add technology, potentially you have this risk of, of increasing bias. And I'm like, that's actually false. That's a false statement that I think we've let go for too long. I, I, was, I was on a panel with an AI professor in Stanford, and he was just adamant that they can reduce bias by increasing technology, but they increase every single thing they've done, every single project they've worked on, every single thing they've measured. If you add humans in the loop, you increase bias. And I think that's a message that we have to get out to HR to help them understand. Even our legal teams. I mean, that's one of the biggest issues we face in enterprise software development is, you know, if you're in a, if you're in a big enterprise corporation, to get a contract signed by legal when you have enter, like you know HR software that has AI involved, it's it'll, it almost never will get signed because there's such a fear of risk there. Well, but it, and it goes right back to my HRIS days thirty years ago, where you've got bad processes and you automate those. You're going to get more bad processes and, and stricter exactly. bad processes, and yep. and so if we let our hiring managers 
you know, tell the AI, here's what I want to hire. They're going to find a way to say, I, I want to find somebody with the same amount of melanin I've got in my skin who went to the same <laughs> schools I went to or whatever, you know, you know, all the factors that they saw in some other successful person, but they couldn't get down to the intrinsic things that made that person great. So it's just going to be, he was six foot two white and looked like, a, you know, had eyes like deers in a headlight and there is what you're going to get more of. And so, yep. but it, it, it boils down to who's programming it, what are the safeguards and, uh, and, you know, knuckleheads or, you know, our organizations are full of knuckleheads who, we call supervisors who think they've got this unique insight into the human soul. <laughs> and the more they, you know, that they don't recognize what they're doing and they, and they feed that stuff into how they write their job description or whatever else, or their job postings yep. and all those, that's, what's going to drive the problems. It's, it's the AI. It doesn't care. It doesn't have the implicit bias uh, until we build it. It in does. It. And also it doesn't have the conflict avoidance issues that we have right right now. I don't want to burn a relationship. I know I have, let's say a, a supervisor I'm working with that is maybe gender biased and I might try to hint around it, but I just wouldn't be direct enough to go, Hey, you know what? We started with a hundred um, potential candidates in your funnel. Um, it was a 50, 50 male, female gender, you know, kind of match. Um, as, after we went through um, our selection pre-employment testing, we were still at that 50, 50 match. After the interview that we gave you a 50, 50 kind of um, funnel for, you are now hiring 90% male, 10% female. And like right now, we would just tiptoe around that constantly. We just go, oh, you know, Tim, you know, oh, you know, Tim. And we'd roll our eyes and no one ever does anything about Tim, you know, right. <laughs> where AI would go, no, we're going to deliver this to the legal team, to the C-suite. We're going to show people that you have an implicit bias built into your process. And we know exactly where it's coming from or where, where it's happening. And then you work on it from there. I think that's, again, the, the strength of what we're, you know, this kind of this horizon that we're on. That's perfect place to end it. Thanks for joining me today, Tim. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening. You can comment on this episode or search our previous episodes at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and you can reach him at robmakespods.com. And thank you to Imperative's marketing coordinator, Marianne Hernandez, who keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.